tonight. Good. Good to see you all tonight. It's wonderful. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we can gather together and worship you today. And Father, I thank you that we have your word. And tonight, as we come around your word, it brings life, it brings healing, it brings direction. It brings clarity, and God, we thank you that it's really our love letter from you to us, and it's also our instructions on how to live. And Father, I know that it's anointed, but I pray that you would anoint my lips as I come through and work through your word and bring it to these lovely people in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were here, we've been having a great theme of love uh, and it's not even been something that Mark and I discussed or talked about. It, uh, it was actually last Friday, Mark came into the, uh, to the office as I was preparing. And it's probably about five o'clock and he goes, hey, I'm using that scripture on Sunday. And then, uh, and then he was preaching on Sunday and I'm like, oh, he's got, like he's saying things that I'm saying. And I really felt to, to speak on love. Um, and last week I spoke on love on display and Mark spoke on being triggered and this morning he spoke as well at how to get dressed, have, how to be dressed in love. And I do believe that God is setting us up to be ready for what's going to happen and what is happening now. And uh, I, uh, I, I just love that. That the Holy Spirit goes, okay, you want to go that way, but you know, I know what's coming up and you need to be ready for this. So get ready. All right. So here, last week I preached about love on display. And, uh, you know, before Jesus went to the cross, the, the, the sacrifice, the biggest sacrificial love that Jesus showed, the ultimate sacrifice of love towards us, his love by going to the cross. He said to his disciples, which we live by today, he said in John 13, 34 to 35, says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, he's saying a new commandment. And as I spoke last week, it's really not a new commandment. If you read your Bible, it was an old commandment, but it was refreshed. It was brought to their attention again, saying basically, Jesus is saying every other commandment is pinning on this love God and love people. Love God and love people. Love, and as we love one another, that makes God visible to mankind and the people around us. So tonight I'm going to speak from a passage of Scripture, a lengthy passage of Scripture of instruction, and, uh, and it's what is love. So we talked about last week the Father heart of God's love towards us, and now I'm going to speak on what is love. But a group of... Um, uh, a group of professionals went and asked some kids the ages of four and eight what they thought love was. And, uh, you know, what does love mean to you? Imagine their answers. I'm going to give you some of them. One child said, when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on cologne and they go out and smell each other. 
Another child wrote, love is when you kiss all the time, then when you get tired of kissing, you talk more. My mum and dad are like that. They look gross when they kiss. Another kid writes, I let my big sister pick on me because my mum says, the reason that why my big sister picks on me is because she loves me. So I pick on my baby sister because I love her. One girl writes, love is when you tell a guy that you love his shirt and then he wears it all the time. <laughs> Another said, when uh, you love someone, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. Last one. When my, I love this one. I can, see, I can see this happening in Mark and I's life. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it all the time for her, even when his hands have got arthritis too. That's love. You know, there's no other subject that is sung about more, written about more than love. You couldn't count the amount of love songs and, uh, that, and love letters that have been written, sung. Why? Because we all crave love. We all crave to be loved. And we all want to be able to give love. We also uh, desire not only to love, but to, to be loved, but to give love. Dr. Carl Menninger, who was a famous psychiatrist, was on a mission. He was on a mission to find the root cause of his patients in his clinics. Why are they here? And what is their root cause of what their problem is? So he instructed the staff to provide an atmosphere of creative love. They were to give large doses of love to the patients. They were, there was to be no unloving or negative words or attitudes that were tolerated. And he discovered that in less than six months, the average stay of the patients in his clinics have been reduced to half their normal time. Meninger writes, love cures both the one who gives it and the one who receives it. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians has been called the love chapter. We read it at weddings. We see it in greeting cards. We, we write it. We say it. We speak it. But I want to give you a little bit of a background on this actual chapter. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we're going to read in a moment. Uh, it's pretty much... I call it a breath of fresh air. Not was written to, written by the Apostle Paul. This letter was written to the church of Corinth um, because love was definitely missing in their church. They, uh, they had so many problems. They were a wild bunch. In fact, there was really no difference between the outside world of non-Christian believer to the people in the church who were supposedly believers. There were divisions, there was backbiting, there's idolatry, there was jealousy, there was sleeping around with one another, 
you know, rather than following God. And many in the church were actually boasting about their wisdom, their gifts, their possessions, their spiritual gifts. They were prophesying and they were comparing each other with the gifts that each other had, but they weren't representing God's love at all. They were so different. They were, sorry, no different than the people in the world who didn't know God. So in the midst of their problems, Paul writes this chapter of love. I think he's trying to recenter them back to loving one another, loving God and loving one another. Now I'm gonna pick this passage of scripture, this chapter to bits tonight and, uh, and see, and it teaches us how to love one another what true love is, applying it to our lives, applying it to our marriages, applying it to our relationships, applying it to our friendships, applying it in our workplace, applying it to our children, applying it to our parents and grandparents, our siblings, applying it to one another in this place. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, reading from the New International Version. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging. So here this is the church and they're prophesying. The Lord would have us know today that He loves us with unfailing love. But they just came from an ex, a sexual experience the night before with someone else in the church. In fact, some of them were sleeping with their dad's mother. Son sleeping with the father's mother. But prophesying on Sunday, thinking they were sounding great with their worship. Oh, I praise the Lord, but I'm stuffing my face with communion. So you get the picture here? He's like, you are, you are speaking in tongues, you are worshiping, but you are idolatrous. You are sinful people, you're sleeping around. You are swearing, you are eating the food of the idols from out there that have food and you're stuffing your face with that. Then you're stuffing your face with communion with the Lord's sacred supper, the Lord's supper and they're coming into church and they're stuffing their faces if they haven't eaten bread for six days. But then they go, praise the Lord. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you make noise. You sound so loud and noisy, but you don't have love. You're just a noisy bunch of people. Now, you know, you think this is just the Corinthian church. And I tell you something, I've been in ministry, this will be my 37th year. You're going, oh my gosh, Nina, you look so young, because I am young. <laughs> and, uh, and in my 37th year, sometimes I go, Oh, I, I see that behaviour. Where did I read that? Oh, yeah, in, in the book of Corinthians chapter 4. You know, sometimes in, in my 37 years of ministry, it's happened in the church. Oh, did you just find out someone just slept with someone? 
you know, oh, they're Christian. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the foyer, they're just swearing. I had the lady swear at me in the foyer one time. I had another lady in, and this is not in this church. This church is holy and great. <laughs> I had another lady, like, just, just backbite and gossip and then want to prophesy in the front. That's what it is to God. It's noise. And this is what Paul is addressing. He goes, you guys are crazy. I need to, you need to get back to love one another, to love God and love one another. No, verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith and that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship, then I might boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects. He always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put, on the, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in, the, in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The word love is used eight times in this chapter, which brings me to my first question, what is the meaning of love? We all need to ask this question. We all need to ask ourselves, how do I interpret love? Because love in the English day and language is seen in so many different ways. I love chocolate. I love the weather. I love Mark. I love Dobie, my dog. I love God. I love you. You know, the same word is used in so many different varieties of ways. I love chocolate, did I say that? Oh yeah, I did. The Bible uses the word love a lot. And in the New King James Version, he uses, the word is used love 360 times. The word love appears. If you read the New Living Translation, it's around 651 times the word love appears. But when the Bible uses the word love, it's more specific. It's less thrown around like I love chocolate, I love my dog, I love Mark. The, it, the actual Greek meaning of love in this passage of Scripture, because as I said last week, there's different, inter different meaning Greek words to the word love. 
is this chapter is about agape love. Agape love is, is God's love towards humanity. The highest form of love, the ultimate demonstration of God's love towards us is the cross. Look at what Jesus did for us. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that as many who believe in him shall be saved. That's the greatest love. That's agape love. It's a love that you and I have to show and live in. He has given us that ability. There's none of us, no matter what your, your background is, no matter what has happened to you, through the power of the Holy Spirit and salvation, God keeps filling us up with love, His love to be able to give out. You know, when a relationship ends, um, they basically make a decision. I just don't love you anymore. It's a choice. Love is not just a feeling you can't control, you can control it, but it's a choice that you can control. So people go, I just don't love you anymore. It's not because they don't feel the fuzzy wuzzy, the, the romantic wedding time and, you know, their courtship. It's not because they, somewhere along the line, they made a decision not to love anymore. That's purely what it is. I don't love. I haven't grown out of love. No, I've chosen to not love anymore. So it is a choice. In verses one to three, Paul is basically saying the path of love is greater than the path of power. Sometimes we look at, oh, I wish I could preach like that. I wish I could prophesy like that. I wish. And he's going, no, love is greater than those things. If you don't show love, you're just making a noise. Then Paul explains what is love. Let's look at what the Bible says. Love is patient. In the New King James Version, it writes like this, that love is long-suffering. This actually is translated in the Greek. You've got to understand, I'm a bit passionate at the moment with the Greek Bible because I was gifted with uh, sparkling gems from the Greek. And there's all these devotions about the original translations of words. And I'm like going, oh my gosh, I never saw it like that. It actually means that. So the, the New Testament, the original, it's, it's like a picture book. It's been translated, it's been originally in Greek, translated into the English language. Some words actually get lost in translation. And so today I'm going to be referring to the actual meanings of the word. So it, translated from the Greek, it means long suffering means long tempered, long fuse, slow to get angry, letting something burn a long time before you would react to it. So a little hint to parents, you're about to lose your banana with your kids. Go to the room and just take a breather and then come back and deal with it. In fact, it's such a special word used with dealing with problem people. That's, it. That's actually what you're referring to, long-suffering with problem people. They just get on your nerves. Anyone get, have people that get on their nerves or it's just me? I think. Five, six, seven of us. The rest have to repent when you go home. <laughs> you know th those ones. They just trigger you. 
They just, you need long suffering. You need a long fuse. And one of the qualities of God is long suffering, slow to anger towards us. We mess up, he's like, I don't see that anymore. Once you repent it, it's a sea of forgetfulness. He's not quick to jump on us. He's not quick to condemn us. He loves us. God is long-suffering because of his love towards us. The word long-suffering is a passive meaning. You are not going to do something. You are not going to react. So having long-suffering means you're not going to react. You are going to wait. You're going to draw it out. You're going to take a breather. You're going to allow God's love to touch you. And then when that happens, you go, oh, I love them. I forgive them. Paul then says, love is kind. That word translated from the original Greek means helpful. To be kind is active. To be kind is to go another step and do something helpful or beneficial for someone else, to someone else. We live in an unkind world. If we live by being kind to one another, not only in this place, but out in the world, imagine how transforming it would be. It's the first step of kindness starts within the home. Starts with your family. If you can't be kind to your family, who are you going to be kind to outside those doors? Second step test of kindness is in the church, being kind to one another. Christian love, kindness for one another. Jesus said, by this will the world know that you are my disciples, by the love, the kindness, the helpfulness that you have one for another. The third test of kindness is then with everyone else in our neighbourhoods, in our extended families, in our workplaces, in our schools, to those that are in our world. When Jesus was asked, who is my neighbour? He tells this story. Jesus explains, well, you want to know who your neighbour is? And he tells this story that there was once a travelling man and he was a, a Jewish man. It was a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by thieves, uh, he was bashed around and they stole his clothes and they wounded him and they just left him lying for dead. A Jewish priest came round, saw him and crossed the road. Then a Levite came round, saw him and crossed the road as, uh, again. And then it goes on to say, but the Samaritan who passed by didn't pass by. He stopped. He dressed his wounds up as best as he could. Then he took him to an inn and paid for the inn man to house him and look after him. That's, Jesus says, that's who your neighbour is. That person lying on the road. Our neighbour is anyone you see that is needing help. Then from, basically from verses 5 onwards, Paul talks about what love is not. So we just see love is kind. We see love the different forms of love that we've just read. Now we see what love is not. It's 
interesting that he had to put that in, quite just, you know, descriptive. It says, love doesn't boast, love doesn't envy, love is not proud. We all fight this. We all fight these feelings because there's always we feel someone better than us or someone that can do something better than us, someone who's more prettier than us, or someone who's more good looking than us, someone who's got more money than us, someone who's got a bigger house than us, someone who gets job promotions all the time. And sometimes we can, you know, feel envious towards them. But love means I love you and I won't enter into a competition with you. You're not my rival and you're not my enemy. If you have something better, well, well done. Good on you. That's awesome. We have to watch out to the, as this, in, especially as Australians. You know, we have that tall poppy syndrome. If someone does well, oh, I have to pull them down. I can't be seen to be doing good. Like, so you start criticising them. Oh, yeah, they only got that because they got rich parents or they only got that because they won the lottery or they only got that because, you know, we just fell in their lap. You know those people who just can't rejoice when someone does well and they have to pull someone down and discredit their achievements? It's bad. It's wrong. You know, when I was asked to come into ministry and become a pastor, like, not even behind my back, people. Girls would come to me and go, how did you get that? You don't do, literally Christians. I think they were Corinthian Christians. You know, like, how did you get that? You don't deserve that. You're too young to be in pastor. Like literally, I can deal with it behind my back, but to your face, it's a little bit harsh. Lord Jesus, love them. I love them. I love them, Jesus. And that's what it is. It's competition. Get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. That's not love. That smells. The Corinthians competed with each other. We are not in a competition with each other, but we are rather people who complement one another. We need to complement. Paul writes it this way to get the point across. Love is more than emotion or a feeling. It's a set of choices that are made to do and not to do certain things. You know, and that's what love is. That's how Paul explains it in the Scripture. Tina Turner writes a song. What's love got to do with it? (laughs) I made it really bad because these are her words. She says, you know that song really well, and you're dying to sing it because I just butchered that. What's love got to do with it? Do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? Well, she got it wrong. Love is not a secondhand emotion. It's a first-hand set of actions. The point that Paul makes over and over and over again It's a choice to demonstrate love and it's a choice not to demonstrate love. So let's go through one by one from verses five. Number one, love does not dishonour others. The New King James Version says, love does not behave rudely. Now, if someone burps all the time and, and does other things all the time or is a slob in front of you, it's not actually referring to that sort of rude person, 
but rather it's referring to someone who's insensitive to one another, who's insensitive to another person. Remember, Paul is addressing the Corinthians who were rude people, who were just horrible. And he heard that during communion, like I said before, they would scoff their face with the bread and get drunk on the wine. I reckon that's why we've changed to the grape juice and a wafer. <laughs> and so that's what they would do. They would get drunk on the communion. Perhaps, you know, why Paul had to be straight all the time with them. You know, real love has tact. It's polite. It's etiquette. Sir, ma'am, please, thank you. Remember those words? William Barclay translated this verse, love does not behave gracelessly. In other words, love is gracious. There is a grace to those who exercise love. If you've been around someone who just is loving, just a lovely person, who's just always kind, always lovely, and just go, like, they're too perfect. But it's not, they are beautiful people. They are gracious people. People sometimes act rudely and then justify why they've acted rudely. Let's get rid of that as well. We see it amongst kids a lot. You know, they get hit or one of their siblings says some nasty things and so the game is on between the two of them. But unfortunately, some kids never grow out of it and become adults and behave like that. And uh, still rude to one another. You know, did you hear about the little boy who's driving in this car going for a drive with his dad and um, the dad and having a nice Sunday drive and the dad's just annoyed, ticked off and he's swearing and he's carrying on and he's just short-tempered in the drive and he's getting mad at other drivers, get off the road, change lanes and he's just going off and off and off. Come, kid comes home, they come home, but later in the afternoon, mum says, hey, Johnny, do you want to come for a drive with me? So Johnny hops in the car and they're driving. It's nice, it's quiet, it's calm, it's very peaceful. Finally, the boy speaks up and he says, mum, we're all the idiots. <laughs> she says, pardon me? He said, we counted seven of them this morning. As Christians, we can do that. We can ruin our testimony of God's love because Italians go this, so I'm going to kill you. Yeah, pretty full on. So, and they do it too. No, they do kill you. <laughs> so love isn't rude. Number two, love is not self-seeking. In other words, it's not selfish. It doesn't find a way to get its own way. It doesn't find a way to have its own rights. How often do we hear, I have a right, that's my right, that's my personal right. That all started with Adam and Eve. You know, they felt their personal rights was taken away from them by God. God saying, you can have every tree, every fruit in this garden, you can have it all, but not that one there. So then they had a conversation with Satan. He's like, well, that, where's your right? Like, how about that tree? It's your right to have a taste of that one. 
You can have a taste of that one. God is taking away your right, you know. You have right to be satisfied, you know. That apple tastes so much better than those other ones. That fruit is so much better. And that's when the new religion was born. Called self. Self replaced God and it continues today. It's not my right. It's my right. It's my right to have that. It's my right to behave like that. They did that, so it's my right to do this. But it's not the way that we see explained in the Word of God. Love doesn't seek its own. Paul wrote to the Philippians, says, Philippians 2.4, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Our attitude should be the same as Jesus. Jesus never seeked himself. If he did, he wouldn't have left heaven. He was all about us. It was about his love towards us. Came to earth. He went from village to village. He went from town to town, loving on people, forgiving people, healing people, setting people free because he loved them. Even when they persecuted him, he still loved them. It wasn't self-sacrificing love that he didn't seek it for himself, but he sought it for other people. You know, there was a pilot he was in a, his own private plane with three other passengers. And uh, there was a pastor, there was a boy scout, and there was a genius. And the plane encountered some quite turbulence in the area and it looked like they were just losing engine strength and it was just really bad turbulence. And so the pilot turns to them, he says, gentlemen, I'm really sorry, we're going down. I can't, I can't do anything, but I only have three parachutes and I've got a wife and three kids and he grabs it and jumps out. <laughs> now, he's gone. So there's only two, but three of them. Then the genius speaks up and he goes, well, I am the smartest man in the world and the world needs me. So he grabbed one and he jumped out. And then the pastor, there's only two, the pastor and the boy scout. The pastor says, well, young man, I've lived a full life. I've lived a good life. And you know what? I know where I'm going when I die. When this hits the ground, I know where I'm going. So you take the parachute and you jump out. And he goes, the boy goes, relax. The smartest man in the world just took my backpack. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Good on the genius for dying. You know, he deserved it. You know, sometimes that is, it's like to prove a point. They're selfish. They deserve that behaviour because they're so selfish. Selfish people are never missed. Generous people, loving people, other people orientated are always missed. They're greatly missed because they've become so much where they've left a deposit of love on this earth that we miss them. Number three, love is not easily angered. Oh dear, here we go. The Amplified Version says love isn't touchy. It isn't easily irritated. 
The Greek translation to this is blowing up in a fit of anger or rage. That's what the translation is, is when one blows up in a fit of anger and rage. Paul is saying a person who loves isn't easily triggered. And Mark spoke a great message last Sunday morning about being triggered. Or he's not easily offended. You're not easily annoyed. Now, the Italians, I'll take it. The Italians have a reputation of being hot-blooded, right? And they can lose their temper. I'm a, I'm a saved one. But before I got saved, I did have a temper. I actually had a bad temper. And as a kid, I never forget. I hate, hated, I hated losing and my dad and my brother and I, we'd play, we'd play cricket. And I never forget, this was life-changing for me. You ever had those life-changing, such a bad moment, but it's a life-changing moment? And I remember losing and I got so mad that I hit the back of my brother so hard, like so hard that he collapsed. And I'm screaming, Mum, I've killed John. Mum, I've killed John. Mum, I've killed John. Like literally, I thought I killed my brother. My brother is such a lovely, lovely boy. Like sometimes they just argue with me. He's so nice. He's so kind. And he's and I that was a life-changing moment in my anger. I literally thought I killed my brother. And I made a decision at eight years old that I would never, I'll never get angry like that ever again. And, I, and I've kept to that. He, I winded him apparently, didn't kill him. <laughs> you see, anger takes, oh, anger's terrible. It takes relation, breaks up relationships, breaks up relationships, husband and wife and children, workplaces. If you have a problem with anger, can I encourage you to really get help in that? to have self-control in that because it's terrible. And not because I'm an Italian, I, had, I can make an excuse for that. It's a choice that I had to make. I'm saved now, and so I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, and I'm controlled because the Holy Spirit gives me the power to change. We can tell people we love them, but if we fly off the handle, we're just actually cancelling out the message of Jesus in one full swoop by our behaviour. Love is not easily angered. Let's be generous with those who have faults. Number four, love thinks no evil. People who love are quick to think the best. When we hear of a rumour about someone, we're quick to think the best, not the worst of them. At the moment, there's a lot of rumours going out. And people come to me and say, oh, did you hear about this, about so-and-so? And I just go, well, how do we know that it's true? Right? Media at the moment is loving putting out, you know, stuff out there just to make, to get viewers pretty much. Half of it is half of it. Not all of it, half of it's not true. And some of it is true, but half of it's not true. It's all sensationalism. So always, I always have taken this point in my life where when I hear someone say something about someone, they say that there's his version, her version, and then there's a truth in the middle, yeah. right? And so I always go, well, I, until I know for a fact, I'm not going to believe that rumour because it, sometimes it's just stories to get someone 
to talk more. Loving people don't hold on to grudges. It's what the scripture is saying here. Loving people let things go. Put things aside. That's why in some translation it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Do you know, I was a receptionist and we used to have a, le- I used to do ledgers. And to this fact, I still do our finances um, and, and I have like an Excel sheet now. So I know what's going in, what's coming out, what's, what's we're spending, what we're wasting money on. And just so I know that one day I can retire with more than $5 in our pocket. And keeping a ledger is, is, is meaning keeping a record of things, Right? Our mind can sometimes be that ledger where it records things about people. And we've got to be careful that we don't activate that file, but we press delete, delete, inactive file, inactive file, delete, delete. Love does not keep record of wrongs. Someone's hurt you. I know everything in you wants to keep that hurt alive, but it's not doing you any good. It's only hurting you more. And it's only going to hurt those around you as well. The most miserable people I know are those who keep a list of all the wrongs that have been done. You know, there's a couple that went to see their pastor for marriage counselling. And the husband said, you know, every time my wife and I have an argument, she gets historical And he goes, you mean hysterical? No, I mean historical. (laughs) She's always digging up the past. If you're a person like that, just get rid of that. Love doesn't get historical or hysterical. It's willing to forget. You can't control every thought you have, but you can decide what you do with that thought when it comes. We have three seconds. I've got to say we have three seconds when a thought when a, when a thought comes to mind. We have three seconds where we're going to place with it. Do we believe it, run with it, or we dismiss it? Can I encourage you in those three seconds, make the right decision, go, I'm not going to live in that. I'm not going to believe that. That's a lie, and I'm going to move forward. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 17 says... And this is the greatest example that Jesus, God has towards us and Jesus, that their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. That's our God towards us. Finally, this is what makes loving people happy. Love doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. You know, I think this can have two, two meanings here. That it could mean that you don't gloat in your, la- in your past lifestyle. You know, like some people love living in the old past lifestyle of what they used to do and gloat in it. Oh, yeah, I used to do this and I used to do that. I used to get drunk and I used to sleep with girls and I used to, ah, nah. I used to, ah, nah, nah. And, oh, yeah, I burned down a house and I smashed these cars and I stole these cars. But rather, talk about finding Jesus and how Jesus changed your life. It also can mean this, don't rejoice when others fall, when they are frail or when they mess up or when something bad happens to them. Rather than rejoicing and gloating, just get alongside them. It's okay. God forgives you. 
You'll get through this. Come on, let's keep going together. Let's not push them down in the ground just because you want yourself to look better and feel better because they've just failed and makes you look better. No, 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 no. Walk with them. Journey with them. One of the common forms of delighting in evil is gossip and believing the worst of people and entertaining rumours. We can't do that. That's not love. We should be careful not to judge. You don't want the musos to come right now. Love elevates. Love rejoices in the truth. You know, there's a lady uh, in the airport waiting to board her plane, and she waits. She's waiting, so she thought, I'm really hungry. So she goes to get some biscuits and a coffee and a magazine, and she goes to sit down, and she puts her coffee and her bag of biscuits on the table, and uh, she puts her magazine to read it, and then all of a sudden she hears this rustling sound, and the man who's on the other side of the table waiting for his plane, very well dressed, very proper, takes a biscuit. She's like, how rude. Like, so she just casually brings the bag a little bit closer to her, basically saying, it's my side, that's your side. And then all of a sudden, she hears a rustle again, and the man takes another biscuit. And so she's like, this man is so rude. She doesn't say anything. She just goes, oh my gosh, like honestly. So she takes another one for herself. And uh, then she moves the bag a little bit closer again. And then there's one biscuit left. And the gall of this man takes the biscuit, breaks it in half puts the other half in the bag and eats the other half. And she's going, Flip, he is so rude. Like, honestly, you'd think a bit more from a gentleman dressed like that. So she has to get her plane. She, she gets up to go to the terminal, to the, her gate. And as she goes and gets her boarding pass, she reaches in and she touches a brown paper bag. They were his biscuits. What a challenge it is. She's thinking, here's this well-dressed man thinking, how could that woman be so rude to eat my biscuits? But yet, he wasn't rude, was he? He actually even shared his biscuits with her. What a challenge it is to love sometimes, to, to overlook my final thought, God knows everything about us and he still chooses to love us. He knows that when, we, when we're this, but he still chooses to have patience and love towards us. He'll challenge us to not be that, but he loves us, he loves you, he loves me. He showed his love through Son Jesus Christ. But you don't want to tell you tonight, we're not having an altar call because this is a this is a message that you have to activate tonight. In the foyer, tomorrow, next week, in a month. Because let me tell you, I've preached on it. Scenarios are gonna come up. 
because they have for me. <laughs> right? To choose, to be kind, to forgive, to not get angry, to not be selfish, to overlook matters. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The love that was shown to us so deeply, demonstrated to us, we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us to behave in a manner that Paul puts it when we go out there, when it's hard, because I know it'll be tested and it'll be hard. But unfortunately, you're going to hear my voice in your head, but you're going to hear another voice that's louder, and that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Just walk away. It's not worth being right. Be kind. Be kind. 